Do you consider yourself a creator? Yeah, 100%. Creator is funny. Basically, I feel like entrepreneur is at the top of the tree. Then all the branches, there's like founder, which is more like software and tech. There's creator, which is more like a writer, podcaster, course creator. And then there's blogger and all sorts of different ways to say the same thing, which is basically you're a business owner, right? Yeah. And exactly. Yeah. Those are all ways that I describe myself. But creator, I guess, technically is maybe the closest thing to what I am, given that it's not a software business. It's not a service. It's a digital product. What exactly do you create? Run down the list. So, yeah, yeah. And maybe I can even reverse a little bit. So things that I have created and the things that I create, one of my first projects was Hey Marketers. So Hey Marketers is a job board just for marketing. That was actually born out of when I was at Metrics. I was reaching out to, I was doing this campaign, reaching out to past customers to learn why they canceled or why they didn't go through with their trial. And basically, as a learning experiment, try to figure out what could we do better and what are the opportunities. So I sent out a whole bunch of emails. One of those conversations out of it was this guy who said, hey, we're not a customer for X, Y, and Z reasons. I would love to elaborate why. But also, we're looking to hire someone like you and I love what you're doing. Can I pick your brain about your job and maybe how we can find someone like you? So I said, great. Sounds like an even swap. I get to add, ask more questions and then he can ask me some questions. So basically, I asked him my questions about parametrics, and then he asked me, hey, so you may want to hire someone like you. He asked me a few questions about what I was doing, and then he said, cool, where do you think we should post the job description and actually advertise it? And I said, I normally pay attention to the remote job boards, like we work remotely, remote okay. He said, we're not a remote company. It's actually in the office. I said, okay, you could go to like AngelList. He said, yeah, it's already there, but it's not getting much traction. And then he was like, man, I wish there was a job board just for marketers because it's such a good niche. And I just feel like even a lot of the popular job boards appeal to and cater to like product focused roles, programmers, designers, product managers. He said, man, if I had some extra time, I would just spin that up. And I had just seen, so I was an early customer of Ben Tossel at MakerFab before it was Maker. It was called MyNuco, and he had just rebranded into MakerPad and launched a couple of tutorials around Webflow, and specifically one was how to create a job board of Webflow. So I'd just seen that a week or two before, and so I kind of had a eureka moment where I was, I was like, oh, that's a really good idea. I was like, hey, what if I built a job board? Would you be the first customer? Would that be interesting? He was like, oh, yeah, totally. Let me know. So the next three weekends, I carved out and nights and weekends just spent spinning up the job board. I built it out, launched it. He became the first customer, launched it on Prodaton, and then the job board was was a thing. Fast forward to November of this last year, I actually sold the majority stake to this guy named Rich Thornett, who's the founder of Dribble. But anyways, built it all with no code. So that was one of my sort of projects that I built. I also created two courses, so Mental Models for Marketing and Refactoring Growth. And so they're both really comprehensive, big courses. I actually built both the courses, each in about 30 to 45 days. Wow. The first one in 30 days, the second one in 45 days. And basically, the only thing that got me to kick into gear was setting a public goal on Twitter and basically saying, hey, I want to launch this thing on December 2nd. Then I was like, all right, well, I have to have something to show for this. And I had to pull a couple of all-nighters and it was a very busy month in November 2019 when I was working on that, but made it happen. And those have both been very successful. And then I started Swipe Files in March of 2020 and then essentially rolled the courses up into the Swipe Files brand as part of the product offering. Okay. Um, so tell me a little bit about that. Yes. So for Swipe Files, the, the way that it originally started was it's basically just going to be like a little newsletter 
where I would take marketing examples, landing pages, ads, emails, and then I'd write these kind of like detailed analysis, like a teardown of what I thought was great about them, what was not so great, and basically just provide like an in-depth analysis of marketing stuff. But that was born out of my need where I was at Metrics and we were spinning up the affiliate program and it came time to create the landing page to recruit affiliate partners. I was like, what the heck goes on a landing page for an affiliate program for a B2B software company or product? Like I've never done this before. I haven't seen that many examples. So I had to go do a bunch of research, ask a bunch of people, and then finally figured out like, okay, this is what goes on here. Here's like a good example to model after. So anyways, that was like the thought was I'd build out this library of these marketing examples and these teardowns. But then I also had this thought in the back of my mind, like one of the other ideas that I wanted to create was a marketing community because I had been a part of a couple of Slack channels and a couple of forums, but I never really got connected and really felt a part of a group and really dug into a marketing community. This Maybe this is one of those things that I have to build myself. Hold on. And um, yeah. So I ask out of order now when we get into actually building a community and building an audience around yourself. So yeah. how do you go about building now your community and audience? actually yeah. do you differentiate between your audience and community first off yeah 100% i think the best way to describe it and what i lashed on with the model was an audience is basically a bunch of connections between you and each one of those individuals whereas a community is a bunch of connections between you and the individuals and the connections between the individuals with each other yeah. and so an audience is basically like you can broadcast a message and interact with each person one and a whole many. bunch of different people at the same time right one to many whereas a community is you interacting but also them interacting with each other, many to many. So yeah, I think there's a big distinction there. So that's how I think about the difference there is one to many. Like my newsletter is not a community, it's an audience. There are 6,000 people that subscribe, but they don't have any idea who each other is or interact with each other in any way. My community though, the actual Swipe Files community that's built on Circle, I would say that's not my audience. Like I don't have the largest voice there. There's a lot of interaction that goes on there without me. And so it's definitely not my audience. It's a community. So like you said, yeah, it's really not just semantics. There's very important differences there. So let's talk audience today then. How do you build your audience now? And then I want to rewind and find out how you did it in the past too. Yeah. So the way that I think about building an audience today, I've been workshopping and developing this idea of what I call the orb framework. So it's O-R-B. And it actually works really nicely because if you can imagine a few orbs, like basically a couple of concentric circles, right? So imagine like a big circle and imagine a smaller circle inside of that one. And then one more circle inside of that one. And that's the orb framework. And basically you have your own your rented and your borrowed platforms. So at the very largest sphere and circle is a borrowed platform. So this is basically any time that you can get in front of someone else's audience. And then in the middle, we have rented platforms, which is basically like a meeting ground. It's things like social media, and it's things like having a byline on a publication, being listed in some sort of directory, right? Or basically a meeting ground. You don't own it, but you have a place there and you have rights there and you have certain control, but things are also subject to change. And then we have have the owned platforms. And the owned platform is where you have a direct line of communication with your audience and or community. And I think what a lot of people find is when they talk about building an audience, what they really mean is building out that owned platform where they want to get subscribers to their newsletter. They want to get traffic to their website. They want to build out their community. They want to build out their customer base, etc. The hard part of that is that it's speaking into the void when you don't have anything to start with.
How'd you start out building your audience up? Yeah. So how I started mine was you have to start with some sort of rented platform or a borrowed platform. So in this case, basically everything funnels down to the owned platform. And so if you just start blogging one day, no one could read it. You, you have to go and actively promote it somewhere. You have to get it discovered. And the easiest way to do that is just to borrow someone else's platform at first and then also par that, parlay that into growing your rented platform in places that people are already interacting. And so the first couple of things that I did was I started interacting with a lot of people on Twitter and I started just commenting, liking, dropping in people's DMs, making connections and then following and following back. Really just my first 500 to 1,000 followers on Twitter were really just like these one-to-one kind of hand-to-hand combat of audience building. <laughs> of And it really, I wouldn't even call it audience building. It's more like networking essentially because what you're trying to do is you're trying to build friends and relationships and you're trying to just meet people and expand by going around and just meeting people. And I also was doing things like when I was at Barometrics, I would invite people to do webinars with us. And so then I, they get to borrow our audience, but also I get to be like the face of Barometrics. So I got to leech off of the Barometrics brand a bit. And I don't mean that in a condescending way, quite literally when you're just, you're doing public facing things, yep. but then also I would be invited to do workshops for other communities, for other workshops. I was writing guest posts, appearing on other people's podcasts podcasts occasionally, writing newsletters for them. And basically I was just showing up and adding value to other people's audience and other communities as well, both on Twitter, within Slack channels, within a few other places, private communities as well. And that in turn started to grow the rental platform, which is my Twitter audience, where I get more and more followers there. And it wasn't until maybe about a year or two ago that I started to get a little bit more serious about Twitter. And then really it's all about content creation. And you have to understand the mechanisms of how to get discovered and how to get in front of more people. But when I started getting serious about Twitter, then it's a lot about content production and consumption. And so then I was posting a lot on Twitter. Then I was actually intentionally going out and I was appearing on other people's podcasts, doing workshops, writing guest posts. I was collaborating with a lot of people, like I said, doing the workshops with people at Metrics, making a lot of connections and friends, especially with people who already had large audiences. So anyways, to, to summarize, I always think about it through eventually you want to get people to your owned platform, right? Your newsletter, your blog, your community, your text message list, your podcast, but it's yours goes directly to people. But you have to do that by building your rented platforms, showing up, going to places like Twitter, LinkedIn, getting listed places. And then even to do that, you have to borrow other people's audiences. And that's really about how can I add value to this person? How can I make it a win-win collaboration and get exposure to, to new people? And that summarizes the orb model. How do you go about monetizing now? So for monetizing, I have a couple of theories around this. I'll tell you what I am doing and maybe what I would do if I could go back and maybe some other theories around monetization today. But I should ask first, yeah. given your response, what projects did you plan on monetizing from the start and which ones did you have to figure out monetization after you started building? Yeah. So pretty much all of them from the start, not because I'm like a, a greedy capitalist, but more just that since I was like 19, I knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I just didn't know what that looked like, but I knew that I needed to get my, my reps and sets in, just get practice in. I was hearing all the time over and over again, but your first thing is probably going to fail. But even along the way, you just want to like get practice in. you want to experience things for yourself. Even though there's a huge difference between creating something for someone else versus creating for yourself. It's just a much different, more intimate, more valuable learning experience. And so I just wanted to get things out there. I think it's really a muscle to learn how to make money on the internet, to be honest, because it really takes a lot of practice to understand what's valuable to people and how to build something that people that's worth paying for, essentially.
closely. It's not that I wanted the money necessarily, but I wanted to build something that was valuable enough for people to pay for. And I wanted to test that through charging money. So all of them definitely had monetization in mind, but that looked very differently. In fact, for Hey Marketers, I started out by just allowing people to pay what they want. So the whole thing was built with no-code tools that informed the payment system and like how you posted a job was built through Typeform. And um, so it basically allowed me to say, like build in a question that says like, how much do you want to pay? And then people could put $1 or $1,000 and whatever it was, like that was okay with me because I wanted to just see what people paid for this. And that was actually really invaluable because it allowed me to see what the kind of like floor and the ceiling was for the pricing and how so people thought about it. How long did you let that go on for? Through me selling it. I think actually only the last couple of months, I just changed. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So I got a lot of data points and that I think basically where it ended up was there was like this kind of happy medium where like the mean and the average and the most common prices were usually between $49 and $99 per posting. But for the courses, it was actually really scary. I thought about releasing them for free just as like a, but I got encouraged by a couple of people to charge for it since I was spending so much time on it. Like I think I probably put in 50 hours for each one through like content creation. I was doing like these one take videos, but there's 40 plus videos for each one and each video is between 15 and 45 minutes. So that's a lot of time involved recording. And there's also like publishing all the admin and operation stuff. But I also just wanted to see, again, if I could do it. I especially wanted to see if I could pre-sell. And both of those pre-sold very successfully. I think before the course was even live, each one pre-sold about $3,000 worth of sales. And then nice. when I actually launched, within the first week, they reached about 10000 And then they've sold very well since then. But basically, my pricing strategy was quite literally, what's the minimum I would be willing to accept if I discount it by 50%? And so... <laughs> for mental models for marketing, I started with $200 and then I could discount it by 50% and still charge a hundred bucks for people to, to buy in the pre-sale and when I launched. And then for refactoring growth, I decided to basically double that price. I actually charged 500 and then I would pre-sell at 250 and uh, both were really valuable learning lessons. And then for swipe files, the monetization strategy wasn't as clear. I was just curious, honestly, to see if people would pay for it. And I was actually very surprised to see how many people did. But that was like when this whole newsletter craze was like just taking off. And so I wanted to see if people would even just pay 99 bucks a year. And so that's what I started charging. And then now since then, I've just been like sweetening the pot. Now there's the newsletter, there's the community, there's the courses, which are bundled in an upgraded package with the all access membership. And it's all very like work in progress still. But but basically to sum up, the monetization strategy is like, What's the least I can afford to to take to experiment and validate that there's demand here? Yeah. And I haven't gotten any further than that, to be honest. The prices have changed very slightly. That's been just slight iterations along the way. Do you use any ads for paid growth? No, I haven't done any ads. It's been all through organic sources, through Twitter and Twitter other things that I do. Yeah, partnerships, collaborations, uh, the podcast, my own kind of owned platforms, if you will. Yeah, awesome. So of the different projects, what's your primary source of revenue now? Primary source of revenue is definitely swipe files. I think I just crossed the 300 member milestone. And I have this, thank you. Yeah, part of my, like this year at the top of the year, I launched this thousand true fans public experiment without document. My progress along the way with the eventual goal of getting to a thousand paid members by the end of the year. So I'm at around 300 now. So I need to pick up the pace a little bit, but that's definitely the primary source of revenue. Again, with the courses also being bundled under that as a one-time sale, I think it technically does. You do the math, right? So it does about 30,000 a year. The courses do much more than that, though, to be honest. And there's also been some other one-time, lifetime deal stuff in between. But definitely, that's the primary one. What's your North Star metric for success? 
thousand true fans, number of paid members. That's definitely like the one single driving factor. And so if that's your metric for success, what's your current goal as a creator? Yeah, the goal really, it's all around opening up time and freedom and being able to create a sustainable source of income to replace, you know, my salary to be able to, to live. Right. And, and so a thousand true fans, like that's quite literally, I'd be about a hundred grand a year after expenses, you know, and taxes that works out to be basically about ramen profitable for me personally. And once I get there, like basically there's a couple of frameworks I use to think about it. One is Andrew Wilkinson, who's an investor and founder of uh, Tiny Capital. He has this concept of what he calls a, a launchpad business. So his advice to always to people who are just starting out is to create a business where basically it's not anything like world changing. It's not gonna be a billion dollar business. It's probably also not like a very technically complex business, but it's just something that pays your bills and allows you to go and then work on other things that could open up your time or financial opportunity for something world-changing or bigger or more complex later on. Rob Walling also, he was the co-founder of Drip. Now he's the founder of Tiny Seed, an accelerator for bootstrap businesses, also host of the Startups with Restless podcast. He also has this idea of what he calls the stair-stepper approach to entrepreneurship. So his advice is for people to start with a one-product, one-channel business. And it's like usually like a, a one-time sale as well. And so you think about something like SEO, like an affiliate blog, for example, right? It's, hey, Google's the one source of traffic. The product really is like the content. You're writing blog posts and then the one-time sales, like affiliate commissions. And then step two is something that has one channel, maybe one or two products, but maybe it's like a recurring. So maybe this is more like a membership type business, like Swipe Files, or it's something really simple. A Shopify app, for example, it's built on another platform, a Chrome extension, still has you know very limited distribution, but has some sort of a recurring nature to it, but it's still a very simple product. And like step three is optional, right? But another helping step is some sort of productized service. So it's gonna be like an agency, a consultancy, some sort of done for you package where you can rinse and repeat the same kind of services. And then step four is software, tech, consumer businesses, e-commerce, multi-channel, multiple products, very complex. So the idea is you step up to those, right? You work out to them because they're harder, they take more, they take more experience, but they're also a lot more financially rewarding and even maybe emotionally or spiritually rewarding as well. So the idea for Swifels is to be that launchpad business, to be like that step two, if you will. I felt marketers and the courses were like that step one, Swifels is step two. I still do a lot of consulting and I've done productized services around mentoring and coaching and kind of like these done for you audits and packages for B2B SaaS startups. And uh, so next up is SaaS and software. And that's what I'd eventually like to get to once I have the finances taken care of and some of the time freed up as well. Knowing everything that you know now, if you could send a tweet back to your start, what would it be? And you get to choose mm. the start. Yeah, I think for the start, it's going to be like four years ago. And I would tell myself, make a lot of friends, create a lot and create a lot of content. And then I would say, be patient and learn to enjoy the process. I think those are really the three things. I think a lot of people, they do it alone or they think they just have to bootstrapping means they're, they just have to go in a hole and just start building stuff. When in reality, I think that a lot of your success comes from who you know, but also who knows you. Again, with this whole practice of borrowing other people's audience, a lot of that comes through relationships and networking and who can make an intro for you. And so I think friends and just allies are super, super important. On that second bit around just create a lot, I think I did a good job of my reps and sets in with like products and projects, but not on the like content production side of things. So what am I learning? Who am I? What do I know? What's my domain kind of knowledge and expertise? And the content creation part is really what helps you to build an audience to get an unfair advantage around, again, who knows you, right? And, and then once you have an audience, then 
then you can figure out what to sell them or what to build for them, how to build a business around this group of people that you love and you want to serve. But it's always a grind and nothing happens on time. Everything takes longer than you think. And so learning to enjoy the process, I think is a big part of it just to give yourself some longevity and stay sane along the way because it's not easy. And so do you want to go back and rephrase your tweet now? Sure. Yeah, I would say three steps to success in four years. Make as many friends as you can, share everything, and build a habit of doing the things that you love. There we go. 